Lynn, I once saw Tony Evans. He's a preacher from Dallas. Uh, he preached at a Promise Keepers event in Oakland. And he was in the Bay Area, and that's when the 49ers and the Cowboys had a big rivalry. And he insulted the 49ers in front of 50,000 49er and Raider fans and was talking up the Cowboys. And I remember thinking to myself, if he can get this crowd back, he is a great preacher. And he did. He did. He won them back. So, ladies, I'm going to try to win you back. Uh, Mark chapter 16, verses nine, verse 9 through 20. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and they as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared to another form in two of them as they were walking in, in the, into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and set down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. And may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all our hearts, be acceptable, Lord, in your sight, our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. I, am, uh, I, I, I posted on Facebook this morning, I said, the evidence for the resurrection is compelling and the implications are staggering. And I want to just talk about, uh, I want to start with the evidence. I'm not going to do the whole evidential. I've done that in the past, talked about all the different layers of evidence for the resurrection. But I, I do want to talk about two that this passage brings up. Um, and that is, first of all, the women. Here's my chance to redeem myself. <laughs> Jesus, it, it, attitudes toward women in the first century were different than they were today. Uh, you have come a long way, baby. Uh, attitudes are, were much different back then. Women could not be uh, called upon as witnesses in court uh, because they were considered unreliable. Uh, women were considered less than men. They were considered pretty much property of their fathers until they were married, and then they were property of their husbands. Uh, some of Jesus' words on divorce we don't actually understand uh, because we take them in our context, when in his context they were actually words of strong protection for women who could be just discarded. Uh, with no, no legal recourse whatsoever. Uh, if, if you, you know, burnt the toast, uh, your husband could write a note, say, I divorce you, and you're out on the streets. Um, and, uh, and so, if, as some say, the Gospels are not eyewitness accounts and not uh, inspired uh, by the Holy Spirit, and that, that, they're, 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 that somehow first century fishermen made up the greatest uh, religion that the world has ever known, and that they wrote these accounts, I find what the, the place of women in the resurrection stories really calls that into question. 
not only would they not have done it because that was their because that because they they would have thought we can't place women as the first witnesses because that will make our case not stronger but weaker second of all it wouldn't even have entered their mind to do so i mean has that ever happened to you you thought you know god worked something out in your life and you thought my goodness that would have never even entered my mind it would have never entered their mind to place women in the prominent role as the first evangelists, the first proclaimers of the good news that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And it is only people who are writing down what they witnessed and observed carefully and obediently to the prompting of the Holy Spirit who wouldn't have changed that story. But in fact, all four Gospels give us accounts of women being the first evangelists, women being the first proclaimers. And not only women, but women of ill repute. You have a lady here with seven demons who was a prostitute. And she's the one who comes and tells the disciples, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. They don't believe her because that is their want in that culture. And Jesus comes and what? He's got her back. He vindicates her. He, he rebukes not her, but them for their unbelief. Why didn't you believe Mary? Uh, I don't know. Has Mary ever lied to you before? No, not that we know of. Why didn't you think this was possible? I told you I was going to go to Jerusalem three days later, rise again. Yeah, but we saw you die, and we just never saw a dead guy get up, and we just didn't believe it. And then, and, then the, and then these two other guys, not, not, not among the twelve, Cleopas and his friend, Luke tells us, on the road to Emmaus, get encountered by Jesus, and on that road, Jesus begins to open the scriptures to them and reveal himself to them, and, he, and he's in a form that they don't understand, and they don't even recognize him until what? He breaks the bread. And all of a sudden, they recognize him, and he disappears. And listen, they go and tell the disciples this is what happened to us. And the disciples didn't believe them. Who would make such a thing up? Another reason I believe the gospel accounts is if these accounts were made up by the early church, the people in the early church would have made themselves to look better. You know, they might have made Jesus the star, but they would have been the co-star. But instead, how do, the, how do the early disciples come across looking time and time again in the Gospels? As ninny heads. Right? As just thick. You know, they, I mean, I'm so glad that God chooses people who are just dumber than a bag of rocks. Because then I can be included. Turn to somebody next to you and say, did you understand that? <laughs> and I just think that throughout the resurrection accounts, there are all these evidences that never would have, they never would have made it into the Gospels had the Gospels been some kind of invention of the early church. They just carry with them the mark of authenticity, don't they? I mean... I mean, it would be just like us, right, not to believe somebody. 
I mean, I've done that. I've had people come to me and tell me miracle stories. And, I, and I, my first reaction to the miracle stories is, yeah, right. God is so good. I was in uh, Novinger, Missouri last week in St. Joseph, Missouri, preaching at revivals, having a great time. And uh, there was a woman there who had been in a car accident and had bulging discs in her neck and had been in pain, I don't know for how long. But she was in pain. Uh, the second night of the service, I preached on healing, and she was in pain. She didn't come up when I called people forward to receive healing. I just called people forward, and we prayed for people. And, you know, I did the thing. Do you feel any better? Wave your hands. Lots of people wave their hands. It was great. You know, God was touching people. But she didn't come up. But toward the end of the service, somebody said, go pray for her. And so I went and I prayed for her, and she received it graciously. And I just, you know, sometimes I just, sometimes I really do have a gift of faith. Sometimes I just pray for people that they're going to get better. I didn't have that for her at all. She was crying. She was sad. I did my best prayer, but I just walked away going, eh. Next night, she's in church, and I'm, I'm giving words to people, and I look at her, and I hear this word. The Lord says, it is, not for, it is not his will for you to be in pain. And I chickened out. I didn't even give the word to her. Just, eh. Get home. On Facebook again. Kev, just thought you might want to hear. Jennifer's testimony. Post this testimony. Amazing. No longer in pain. Have been off pain meds for three days. I am healed. Praise the Lord. God can, and, and God can use old little faiths like me and like them to do his work. And so... I, these things seem so authentic to me. They seem just like us. You know what I'm saying? They would have made themselves... Look, I believe that the Gospel of Mark, when you read the Gospel of Mark, you're reading the Gospel of Peter. The Bible says that John Mark was both a, a secretary, a scribe for Peter and for Paul in their later lives. And, uh, and we know that Mark was a young man who was an eyewitness to the night where Jesus was arrested. Uh, he tells us that very subtly in his Gospels. He says there was a young man. Anybody remember this? In Mark's Gospel, he says there was a young man there, and they tried to grab him, and they grabbed his linen cloth, and he ran home completely naked. It has no, no bearing on the text at all, on what's happening to Jesus. Why, did Mark, why is that included? Because Mark is telling us what? He says, I remember the night I ran home scared buck naked that they arrested Jesus. That's his little signature in his gospel. I was there that night. But we also know that Mark was the scribe of Peter, and the gospel of Mark reads a lot like Peter. I think, I think if Peter would have been alive today, we'd have diagnosed him with ADHD. You know, he's always, and, and the gospel of Mark, it's always, and immediately, and immediately, and immediately. He doesn't have time for much of Jesus' teachings. He just talks about, and then I saw Jesus do this, and then he did this, and then he did this. And yet, Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he's taught, telling Mark these stories, has great humility. He says, yeah, I didn't even believe. I didn't even believe until Jesus was there among us. So I ran to the tomb with John, but I was just confused. But when I saw him, I believed. Thomas, he didn't believe Mary Magdalene. He didn't believe the two witnesses. He didn't believe his ten other disciple friends. And I want you to notice, finally, the mercy of Jesus toward these unbelieving ninny hammers. <laughs> he comes to Thomas. Thomas says, unless I put my hand 
where, where they pierced him. Put my, put my fingers in the holes. I won't believe. And you know what Jesus does? He comes and he says, give me your hand, Thomas. Can you imagine that moment? No, nah, that's good. <laughs> no, give me your hand. There it is. And then he says something wonderful about you. Thomas bows before Jesus, and one of the clearest declarations of Jesus' divinity in the New Testament says this, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Thomas, because you believe. But then he says, blessed is Susan Veach, because she hasn't seen, and yet she believes. Blessed is Adam Ballstead, because he hasn't touched there, and yet he believes. He said, blessed are those who have not seen, and yet believed. You're blessed. You're blessed because you believe. So the authenticity of these accounts, the witnesses, uh, this, this just bears the mark of historical accuracy, of historical truth, of an amazing event. That the, of an, and, and I think the reason people try to say it can't be historical is the same reason the disciples didn't believe. Because in our experience, dead people don't get up. You know, dead's dead. We've, we've encountered dead. We've all been to funerals. We've all, we've all lost loved ones. Dead people don't get up. And yet in this and other cases, they do. That's the norm, but it's not the rule. And one day, resurrection will be the rule. And so, we have the witnesses. Then we have the commission. Go and preach to all creation. Jen, uh, uh, Glenn, Glenn. The other one spoke to you last week, and he talked to you about, we're called to be evangelists. We're called to preach the gospel to all creation. Every single one of us is called to tell people about Jesus and tell people about this story. And, and, and listen, it's not easy. It's not easy to do it. And yet, uh, there are just times where it's, it's time. And, and, I, and there are wrong ways to do it. You can, you know, get a megaphone and sit outside the Mariner's Stadium and yell at people that they're going to go to hell unless they repent. Probably not the best way to do it. But you, there's other ways to do it. That doesn't have to be the only model. You can love people and build relationship with people. And you can talk to God about people, but eventually, dear ones, eventually, you got to talk to people about God. Eventually, you've got to step across that line and say, can I just tell you about my best friend? There's all sorts of ways to do it. People, if you love people, they'll tell you their problems, right? If you love people, they'll tell you their problems. Man, what a great opportunity. Can I pray for you? I've said that hundreds of times to people. In my life, I've only had one person refuse. He was an unbeliever, and he didn't want to be a hypocrite. He was on a hospital bed, but he didn't want me to pray for him. So I said, can I pray for you right here? And he said, no, I'd rather not, Pastor. His wife was disappointed. But I, see, I didn't want to lie, so I said, can I pray for you right here? He said, no. So I walked right outside his door, and I prayed for him. <laughs> Actually, it happened another time. It happened twice. It was, again, a woman in a hospital. She had grown up Christian, and she got hurt in church. And to pay back God, she decided not to believe him anymore. You ever run into that person? You know, well, I met a hypocrite in church. Well, golly. You know? It's like hitting somebody swinging a cat. It's not hard to do, if you ever tried. 
You never tried to swing a cat? All right. All right. You're not a cat lover, are you? All right. All right, good. So she was mad at God because she met some mean people in church, and uh, I was, in, and she was dying in the hospital, and her husband wanted me to go see her and and uh, get her turned back around, and so I went in and I talked to her and and and, uh, and I asked her if I could pray for her, and she said no, and I said okay, and and so I I, I left and I stood outside the door and I was going to pray for her, and the nurse went in and they had to do a bunch of work, and the Lord would not let me leave, so stay here, and the nurse took forever in there. And I'm just standing out in the hall, and I just want to leave. You know, it's like, I went. She didn't want me to pray for her. It's over. I'm going home. And God just, like, he, he had me pinned against the wall. Stay here. Just stay. Just, you know, like a duck. Stay. All right. So I'm just there. I'm just there. And the longest time, it seemed like, you know, an hour, probably 10, 20 minutes, the nurse was working on her and stuff. She finally got back into bed. I walked back in. And she said, oh, I'm glad you didn't leave, you know. And she just wanted to chat it up. And I said, you know, I said, before I leave, here's how sneaky I am. Didn't ask if I could pray for her again. I said, I have, a, I, have my, I have my favorite poem. Can I recite it to you? And she says, oh, I'd love that. And I began to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And this little Baptist girl rose up in her, and her eyes got moist. Mm-hmm. Yea, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, And she began to say it with me, I fear no evil. And with tears running down her cheek, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a place before me in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then I said it, amen. You need to talk to people about Jesus. It's easier when they're young. 90% 90% of people who come to faith in Christ come before their 18th birthday. I'll tell you another easy place, though, is on their deathbed. And when people are in crisis, they're responsive. And just when the Lord leads you to t- talk to people about Jesus, when you develop a friendship and they tell you their problems, you can sneak him in. Well, let me, I want to pray about that for you. And they, they will say, except those two people in my life, and I you know, got, got the Baptist lady anyway. Those two people were it. Everybody else will say, yes, you can pray for me. And they think you're going to go home and do your little Christian thing at home and pray for them. But you got them. The minute they say yes, boom, you take their hand and you pray for them right there. And all you have to say is something like this. Heavenly Father, I know you love my friend even more than I do. And neither one of us have an answer to what they're going through right now. But you do. And in my experience, you always answer for me the prayer help. And so now I'm praying that for my friend, that you would help them. And when that help comes, they'd recognize it's from you and how much you love them. In Jesus' name, amen. How easy is that? How, and, and if you thought, wow, that's a good prayer. I hope I remember it. Glenn's got me on YouTube, and we're also a podcast. So now you can go back, and you can, you can write it down, all right? You can get that one. How easy is that? Less than 10% of American Christians ever share their faith with anybody. But Jesus said, preach the gospel to all, cre- to all creation. And so if you have a hard time talking to people, you can start on your cats. <laughs> and believe me, if you can get a cat saved, you can get anybody saved. Dogs, they're easy. 
You say, you want to come to Jesus? Sure, sure. You got treats, you know. The dogs just go, yeah. Yeah, you, but cats. And I'll tell you what. If you can get a cat saved and then baptized. <laughs> he says, those who believe and are baptized will be saved. If you believe and you haven't been baptized, it's time you got baptized. Nowhere in the New Testament is that ever considered an option. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say, hey, believe, and if you want, get baptized. Think about it for seven years and get baptized. No, it says believe and get baptized. If you haven't been baptized yet and you believe, come talk to me, and we will get you wet quickly. We will baptize you. You need to be baptized. Believe and be baptized. We're not, I'm not going to talk a lot this morning about baptism, but, but I just want to say that, that we, it, it's part of our, our, our problem in the Western church that we take the things that, of Scripture so casually. We love salad bar religion. You know, we love to get to pick and choose. But Jesus said, believe and be baptized. And so do it. Do it. Believe and be baptized. And you will be saved. And the word saved is so much bigger than even as, even as great as this is. All your sins are forgiven, and when you die, you get to live with God and everybody else uh, forever who have had their sins forgiven. If that was all there was to salvation, as some, as some tend to believe and, and teach, that would be enough to give praise to God for all eternity. But there is more to it. Salvation is not just, when I die, I get to go to heaven. Salvation is that, yes, my sins are forgiven. His spirit now comes and lives inside of me. I, and now heaven, where our destiny, our eternal home, heaven and then the, the new heavens and the new earth, Starts that, that, that reality starts to invade this earth through us. And we become participants in the resurrection life of Jesus. We already become participants in that resurrection. That resurrection starts breaking into this world in all sorts of signs and wonderful ways that we're going to talk about in a minute. And so salvation is that lady getting healed in Missouri. Salvation is demons leaving people. Salvation is life and health and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Salvation is new community where we love and forgive one another and we, we learn how to live together with less than perfect people. How many people have been in church more than six months? Anybody been in church more than six months? How many of you discovered that everybody in church doesn't always act like Jesus 100% of the time? Oh my goodness. There are hypocrites there. Ah, get mad at God, leave, stomp your feet, whine, cry, throw a fit. Or learn to love and forgive and realize if there are hypocrites there, it's probably because I'm one of them. That's, you know, that's preacher's favorite line. You know, uh, somebody says, well, pastor, I don't go to church because of all those hypocrites. And we always say, come on and join us. There's room for one more. <laughs> like, you're not a hypocrite? Listen, there's only two possibilities. Either you don't live up to your standard or you lower the standard. So I, I choose not to lower the standard and just to realize I'm still a work in progress. The world oftentimes cho chooses what? To lower the standard. And then they blame us because we don't live up to our high standard. Now the real phony is the person who claims to live up to the high standard and isn't telling the truth about the fact that they don't and they're still a work in progress. 
But we don't have any of those here. So this is safe. But being saved, is all, it, it doesn't start when you die. It starts when you come to Christ and that old person dies and this new person, I mean, we talk about it, right? Born again, this new person comes and lives inside of the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of us. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And heaven starts now. Heaven starts now. I remember a young Christian, I'm 16, 17, or about, no, about 18 years old, and one area of my life I didn't want to give over to God was, uh, was girls. I wanted to pick my own girl. Didn't want God to pick a girl for me. I figured he'd pick one who was troubled and needed her self-esteem built up, and I'd be the poor sucker who'd have to do it, which was, shows you my distorted view of God. But finally, I got dropped so many times it hurt to sit down. You know, I just... <laughs> I struck out like I was batting blindfolded every time. Just couldn't get anywhere. So finally, out of desperation, I, I, I prayed a, a prayer to God. I said, fine. God, fine. You find me the right girl. Fine. You find me one. I give up. Two weeks later, this little gal from McDonald's calls up. She went to an all-girls school, Catholic school. And uh, she calls me up, and she invites me to her dance because they had to invite boys to their dances because there were no boys at their school. And she invites me to her dance. And, you know, uh, and that was, what, 36 years ago, right? 36 years ago. God did good. And what did I realize when I started going out with Jill? Heaven invaded earth. <laughs> there it is, a piece of heaven, right? Heaven invaded earth. And, uh, and it doesn't stop. It doesn't mean that the pains of this earth are all gone. We, got, we get that. We understand that. We understand we still live in a, in a world. I mean, just last week, uh, horrific events here in Bremerton and in France and in Kenya. You know, I, I read the news. I get it. We're not in a world where pain has gone away. But through people like you, heaven keeps invading. And God does it so subtly. If you'd arisen from the dead and wanted to announce it, you'd have gone to Pontius Pilate and had him make it a decree. God goes to an ex-prostitute and two wanderers on the road. He does it under the radar through people like you. And therefore, preach the gospel, and people who believe and are baptized will be saved. And I'd like to stop there, but I'm not going to, because I'd be dishonest. Because Jesus continues and says, those who do not believe will be condemned. Best, my best understanding of the New Testament is Jesus was not a universalist. I think Jesus is like me. Or maybe I, better, it'd be better to say, maybe I'm becoming like Jesus. <laughs> in that, I think he is a wannabe universalist. I'm a wannabe universalist. What does that mean? I don't want anybody to get condemned. I want everybody to be saved. I think Jesus wants everybody to be saved. But he's not going to force people. And it's not as if God is up there saying, well, you didn't believe in me, so neener, 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 I'm mad at you. Go to the other place. No. I love what C.S. Lewis says. 
He says, people want happiness without God, but there's no such thing. And so if you reject God, you reject his son, you reject all happiness, you reject all hope, you reject life, you reject love. And you stand condemned, not by an angry God up there wagging his finger at you. You stand condemned by your own conscience. Listen, if you were not blood washed by the, by the blood of Jesus, if your sins were not forgiven, you would stand condemned by your own conscience. Right? Even now, even though you're forgiven, doesn't your conscience every once in a while rise up and get you? Mine does. Like, ah, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Ah, Kevin... But I've got some place to go with that. I've got a fount of divine mercy to go. And I've got this table to go and say, you know what? I'm in a new covenant. I'm in a covenant where that has been dealt with. And I don't stand condemned. And that's why Paul's able to say in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But outside of Christ Jesus, we stand condemned by the law, condemned by our conscience, condemned by our friends and family. We stand condemned. Because we're sinners. And there's only one answer to that. That's the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. That is the world's hope. And so, we are saved or we are condemned. I think, I think most, most of our culture hopes for a middle ground. They hope for a middle ground. But in the end, again, to quote my favorite author, C.S. Lewis, in the end, there's going to be two kinds of people. Those who said to God, thy will be done, and those who said to God, my will be done, and they both get what they ask for. And so, I want to talk about the signs of the community of the resurrection, because Mark talks about the signs of the community of the resurrection. These signs will accompany those who believe. Those who believe in the resurrection, those who have encountered the resurrected Christ, those who have been indwelt by his spirit, this is the kind of lives then that they're going to live. These are, and, he, and he talks about four things. He, he says, first of all, they will drive out demons. How many of you ever cast demons out of people? All right. Normal Christianity. Normal Christianity chasing demons out of people. Well, I don't know where demons are. All right. You get, in, you get it strong enough in the presence of God, and they will rise up. And I'll tell you what. I have nothing against counseling. I think counselors can be great help, but I think sometimes we only get half the problem solved. We get people to deal with their issues, which is very important, but they don't deal with their critters. Amen. And, you know, I've had people say, well, what do you think, Pastor? Is that mental illness or demons? And my answer is, yes. <laughs> yes, it is. And so Jesus says, they will drive out demons. And I have found this to be true. Uh, just this week in Missouri, we ran into some cases where uh, 
uh, had this one little gal, and uh, we, we led her to Christ. And I guess she'd had a, a, a series of um, a history of some drug addiction. And the first night, uh, she couldn't look at me. Just, you know, eyes darting all over. And we, 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 but we said a prayer to ask Jesus to come into her life. And then had her renounce a few things and reject a few things. And I just told those things in case anything, in case anything was associated with those issues. I told those things to leave. And as I did, and then, I, and then as I did... Uh, some peace came over her, and I, then I prayed that she would be filled with the Holy Spirit, and she began to weep profusely, and she fell into my arms and fell to the ground and just prayed for her there and, and just had a season. And, and the next night, she could look at me, and it wasn't all this. And I thought, I think, I think some critters left. Because I'll tell you what, if your eyes are the window to the soul, and the Holy Spirit is alive in you, and faith in Christ is alive in you, those critters don't like to look at your eyes. That's one of the things I've discovered in deliverance, is they'll do this, and I, I command them to look at me. I just tell them, look at me in the name of Jesus. And that's how you can tell when somebody's critterized. You tell a normal person to look at you, they'll look at you. You tell a demon to look at you, and they go, you know? But I, I, like, I like to look at them, because then you can tell when they go. They drive out, you drive out demons. And dear ones, this is not, it's not rocket science. If you spot them, you got them. Once they manifest, you have authority over them. And if they don't leave, then you need to find out what they're hanging on to and then deal with what they're hanging on to and then they'll go. And it can be tedious and it can take a while, but you can do people great service. And then when you're done, have that person pray for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit because they don't want seven of those guys' friends coming back. But in my name, normal Christianity, you'll drive out demons. That is a sign of the early church. That is a sign of the church 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years later. That's a sign of the church in Africa and Asia and Southeast, or Africa and Asia and South America where the church is growing rapidly. When people come to Jesus, they go through exorcisms. Say, we don't want you to bring your demons into church. We ought to do that more in North America. That ought to be a requirement to be on the church board that you go through exorcisms. Should have thought of that before I invited you guys. <laughs> There's still hope. <laughs> <laughs> spot him, you, got him. <laughs> you will drive out demons. You will speak with new tongues. I'm not going to spend a lot of time this morning on tongues because we're doing a series on spiritual gifts and I'm going to get to tongues and I am going to spend a lot of time on tongues because tongues is a wonderful and misunderstood gift. On the one hand, some people misunderstand it, thinking it's only meant to be spoken as in Acts chapter 2, distinct languages for the proclamation of the gospel, which is not true. It has much richer and deeper and even fuller application than that. And other people think that, it's, that it only exists as the sign that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, so you can, have a, so you can be a step above some, some other kind of Christians. And tongues is, is, is much more beautiful and powerful and wonderful than all that, but it, it, it is a sign... Of what? The new community. God gives language that you don't know. To pray and to praise and to intercede. And Paul says, I speak in tongues more than y'all. But I don't use it in inappropriate, obtrusive ways. Listen, if I'm preaching and one of you just stands up and starts blaring out in tongues, I'll tell you to sit down and be quiet. And then we'll do, go back to that first one. We'll cast that thing out of you that, ever, that encourage you to do that. Doesn't mean the tongues was demonic, but maybe the, the inspiration to do it might have come from the wrong source because God wants there to be order in his house. And we've, we've probably all experienced some tongue talker who was out of line. 
But what a, what a terrible reason to dismiss a beautiful gift because somebody doesn't use it right. There are so many. We don't do that with the rest. Of, we've, we've experienced people who use money wrong, but that doesn't mean we just, throw, we just get rid of all money. We, there are people who use all sorts of things wrong. The, the, in life, the answer to misuse is never non-use, but right use in all areas. And so it is your birthright as a child of God to be able to pray and praise him in a new language. These are the signs of those who believe. It doesn't say these are the signs of the apostles. These are the signs of the first century church. These are the signs of people who are really, really holy and really, really close. These are the signs that will follow those who believe. Third one, you get to be a snake handler and a poison drinker. It's not the point. That's not the point. Jesus told his disciples to go. And there are two great dangers in the first century on the road when you're going to take the gospel. Number one, still the number one killer, the number one killer of animal killer of, of humans by, by direct killing, not, uh, the number one is, is mosquitoes, malaria. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's, they, they bring a disease. But otherwise, the number one killer still is snakes. Venomous snakes still kill more humans than any other animal on the planet. And it's because in a lot of places where venomous snakes are popular, people are, are populous, they're warm climates, people walk with poor footwear and they're walking through grasses and, and, on, and on dirt trails and stuff like that, and people get bit and they die. And that certainly was the case in the first century church. People were walking in sandals in the countryside and there were snakes. And what's Jesus saying? He's saying, when you're going on my commission to take the gospel, you have what? Divine protection. The other problem was, what? Bad water. Still today, right? Huge killer, bad water. All over the world, people are drinking bad water. They're uh, children, I think the number one killer of children in the world is dysentery from just bad water. And one of the things that Christian churches are doing all over the world, right, are digging wells. You and I, we're digging through uh, Vision Vesters with Grace Covenant. We're digging wells in Haiti and other places so that people can get good drinking water. And what does Jesus say? He says, when you're on my commission to go and take the gospel to the world, I will protect you. What is he talking about when he's talking about snakes and deadly poison? He's talking not about going to church and handling snakes and trying to drink things. He's talking about as you go under my commission, there is protection upon you. I remember one of my favorite preachers, John Wimber, uh, was talking. He was going to a conference somewhere, and he was flying on a plane, and, uh, and the plane was having problems, and people were getting kind of nervous, and they thought this, this plane was having issues. And Wimber said, you know, I started thinking, oh, my gosh, this plane's having problems. It's having issues. And they thought, no, you know what? It's going to be fine. And here was his reasoning. Why would have God downloaded that message for me to give to this congregation had he not intended me to get there? Right? As I go... Under his commission, I am protected. These signs will accompany those who believe. You don't have to be afraid of going. You don't have to be afraid of talking. You know, the early church and missionaries today go under threat of life. We're afraid to talk to a neighbor under threat of what? Ridicule and rejection. I want to challenge each of you that in the month of April, 2015, you will talk to somebody who's not a Christian about Jesus. Pray with them. 
that you will use the J word somebody, somewhere else besides the golf course as a curse word with an unbelieving world. And in May, we'll, 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 have a t we'll hold you all accountable. We'll make you come up front and say whether you did it or not. And if you did, we'll applaud. And if you didn't, um, we'll throw bad fruit at you or something. <laughs> no, we won't do that. No shaming here. But how many, how many of you take that challenge right now? That this month, you will talk to a non-believer about Jesus. Good for you. Good for you. Good for you. And if you pray for God to give you that prayer, I bet God, I bet God got your back on that one. He'll give you that person and that opportunity. And here's, the, here's, here's another thing I'm going to tell you. I, I can almost promise you it will not be comfortable and not be easy. It'll be a stretch. And it'll be good for you. My wife once told me, she said, Kevin, you like to make people feel uncomfortable. And I said, I said, no, I don't. And she looked at me, and I kind of said, well. <laughs> Listen, it's the preacher's job to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. That's the, you got to draw the line. Finally, they will lay their hands on the sick, and the sick will be well. And we've talked about healing here many times. Um, and maybe these two will come together. Maybe your opportunity to talk to somebody about Jesus will also be an opportunity to lay your hands on them and pray in the name of Jesus that they would be well. And to see them get well. And dear ones, we've talked about this. I've experienced both. I've, I've prayed for people. Uh, and I've seen miracles, just miracles happen. Just saw, saw some last week. And I've prayed for people, and it's like, eh. And I've prayed for people, and it's been kind of an improvement, but not a, not a, you know, it's been like, they got better. How much better? Some. It's like, well, we want it all the way. And I've heard critics say, well, you know, when Jesus healed, he healed completely. He never healed partially. He never healed gradually. He never healed for a year or two, and then the person got sick again, which is, actually isn't true. Best I know, Lazarus died twice. But they do contend that when Jesus did it in the Bible, it's not like when you do it now, Kev. It's not like you're healing now. It's, it's better. It's a, and and, and, I, have, and I, I do have a theological answer for that. And I went to seminary for three years, and I know Greek and Hebrew, kind of, and and, and, and I've, I've read lots of books, and, and, and I've, I've discovered a, a deep theological reason for why when Jesus did it, it was complete and fast and wonderful, and, and sometimes when we do it, we stumble and bumble, and, and here it is. Ready? He was better at it. <laughs> he was better at it. He's Jesus. Listen, what if we held Sunday school teachers to the same standard? as we hold healers. You know, when Jesus taught, Jill, <laughs> Kristen, when Jesus taught, he did better. You guys are pretty good, but he did better than you. There were no misbehaving kids. You know, and he got it all. They all, they, 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 he did great when, when he taught. And Glenn, you know, I know you got a heart for evangelism, but Jesus was a better evangelist than you. What's your problem? <laughs> We don't hold other people to that standard, do we? We let teachers be in progress. We let evangelists be in process. Dear ones, spiritual gifts, in some ways, are very much like natural gifts. You get better at what you do a lot. If you want to get good at praying, if you want to get good at healing, pray for, pray for a lot of sick people. 
If you want to get good at prophesying, then you, then you then begin to prophesy. If you want to get good at speaking in tongues, then start speaking in tongues. But, dear ones, it is beyond doubt in my mind that healing is for today. And it is a sign. These signs will accompany those who believe. This is his kingdom reality breaking into earth. This is the resurrection of Jesus Christ for the dead and the implications, some of the implications for us on planet earth. It's not just to prove he's the son of God and that somehow in proving that we can put our faith in him, have our sins forgiven, and go to heaven. Yes. Hallelujah. Put your faith in Christ, your sins are forgiven, and when you depart, you will be with Christ. And one day you'll get a resurrected body, and you're not... People tell you you're going to live in heaven forever. Not true. You're going to live on earth forever. It says the new heavens come down and join the new earth. So new heavens and new earth, they're joined together. You get a resurrected body. If it's on your bucket list and you don't get it done, you can. You got all eternity. If you want to get to Ireland and you don't get there, you got all eternity. You can get to Ireland. Come visit me. I'll be staying at a castle there on the coast. Be my first home. I'll stay there for 10,000 years, then I'll go somewhere else. Actually, after living in Washington, I think the first 10,000 years I'm going to Arizona. <laughs> I want to tell, I, I, I kind of tempted to tell God I want to go someplace hot, but that's dangerous. I just want to go someplace warm. <laughs> Temperate. But dear ones, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead means this also. It means now, on planet Earth, in the Pacific Northwest, they will drive out demons. Why? Because the kingdom of God has arrived on Earth and he has conquered the kingdom of the darkness. He has conquered the kingdom of the devil. He rose from the dead. And so you can look at those creatures in people's lives and say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of his life, his death, and his resurrection, I command you to leave that person now. And they'll leave. Why? Because he's got our back. He rose from the dead. And he beats the devil every time. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when I run out of words to pray, any of you ever run out of words to pray? God, you're great. God, you're awesome. God, thank you. God, help these people. And pretty soon, sometimes my prayer life turns into the prayer life of Tiny Tim. God, bless everyone. And I run out of words. And when I run out of words, what does God do? I run out, I won't say it. I run out of words. What does God do? He gives me more words. God bless everyone. God, I just want to pray for my friends. I want to pray for the Firehouse Church and those dear people in the church. I don't even know what they need prayer for. But God, I want to pray for them. And God gives you words to pray. And God tells you to do something risky. He says, snakes and poison will not harm you, let alone your grumpy neighbor. Go. And heal the sick. Because in my kingdom, there's no pain, no suffering, no disease. There's no cancer in heaven. 
just not there. There's no heart disease. It's just not there. And so let that kingdom flow through you into the lives of people around you as a demonstration of what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead because it changes everything. Let's stand. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I pray, Lord, that each one of us would be just walking, this is the Firehouse Church, that we would be walking pillars of fire of that resurrection, of that resurrection life. You would fill us with the fire of your Holy Spirit so that the signs that accompany those who believe would follow us. And where we go, demons would leave. Where we go, sickness would leave. Where we go, there would be protection and covering. Where we go, there would be intercession and prayer and prophecy and just the work of the kingdom. In languages we know and languages we don't. Let your kingdom flourish in this house and in our lives because Jesus rose from the dead. In his name we pray. Amen.